everyone, I'm Hannah Lloyd. And I'm Charlotte Gilfillan. Welcome to our podcast, Women in Wellies. Each episode, we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you, our listeners. Hello and welcome to episode seven of Women in Wellies. This week, we are joined by Dr. Alice Strang-Steele. Alice, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. It's very exciting. I've been a big fan since the, the first episode. Oh, thanks, Alice. You're you're so welcome. It's great to have you have you here. If you want to just kick off by telling us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Alice. I'm an equine vet and I work for a practice called Duke's Equine Vets in the Scottish Highlands in Aberdeenshire. My work as an equine vet is mostly ambulatory and I travel around Amb- Aberdeenshire um, to yards and to clients' private properties, providing routine and emergency care for their equine companions. So I see a mixture of competition, pleasure and companion horses. Some cases are brought up to the practice for more specific treatment. And we also have a stud farm for breeding there. So it's a very varied and interesting lifestyle. Spend a lot of time on the road, driving to clients, um, covering quite a wide area across Aberdeenshire. It's probably a hundred mile sort of uh, diameter, our practice area. And yeah, you get to do lots of interesting and cool things. Um, I grew up in Aberdeenshire so this is very much home for me um, although I went away for six years uh, in Cambridge for university and then moved back and I think that really deepened my appreciation and passion for life in, in rural Scotland and this part of the world um, so yeah and then I have my own horses and things on the side which keep me busy on the side because you weren't busy enough as as an as an egg, as an equine vet Alice you know you cover a hundred mile diameter you know it sounds like you've got quite a lot going on and then um, do you you said you you grew up in in Aberdeenshire are you a family from like a rural rural background yeah so I live in a small cottage on my family farm uh which is run by my brother and my dad so it's a mixed real mixture there's arable beef fishing and forestry um, I get to help a little bit with the beef cattle, so I pretend to be a farm vet on occasion, which I really enjoy. Um, and so I do some of the routine work. If it's if it's anything more complicated, then I get the farm local farm vets to come in. Um, but I do some of the routine work for the beef cattle, and I have a few of my own swivel sheep uh, with a few used to lamb each year, mostly just because I enjoy lambing. Um, so I do get a fix of that. That's quite a quite a good little little way to get your fix there and, and I'm sure I'm sure your brother's delighted that you wanted to have some some sheep <laughs> yeah, not so much <laughs> <laughs> he's like this is my beef and arable farm and you're like oh here's my little lambs <laughs> yeah. you're currently living in my garden so I'm not amused <laughs> well you know there's, there's, there's worse things to have in your garden it's true and Alice, you you mentioned that you're like really passionate about rural Scotland. Do you do anything like get out and about in your? I was going to say in your spare time, but I don't know that you've got any spare time between everything you've told us already. But um, so I have well, I have my own two horses at home that I ride in the mornings um, for work and train and compete in a little bit of dressage, um, as well as a Allen pony. Uh, not sure what his purpose is, but he's very cute um, as a companion. And then I really enjoy going off into the hills um, for big, long dog walks. And I'm a big advocate, as I know you are too, Hannah, of cold water swimming. 
So uh, I swim in the River Dee usually once a week, um, all year round, whatever the weather, snow, rain, wind. Um, and I started a swimming group uh, just before the winter for that. So that keeps um, keeps up the morale. <laughs> I totally agree, Charlotte. I know we've not yet converted you, but maybe one day. Um, never, never, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. <laughs> I'm determined, Charlotte. Maybe, maybe, maybe one day. Um, but I, I know, um, Alice, you, you like I, you know, it's about for swimming. It's about the social element as well, which is where a group really kind of can come into its own, and it's great to have people with that kind of from all walks of life with that kind of mutual joy from throwing yourself in really cold water whatever the weather and just like you know you always leave with massive smiles on your face absolutely I think there's there's loads of science behind all of the health benefits both physically and mentally but also it's that sense of connection and community and we have a group of about 30 people up here and not everyone comes every week but we um, we organize something once a week and we'll swim in the river and then we'll have a cup of tea and some cake in the fishing hut with a fire on and I think there's a real risk in rural areas of people becoming a little bit isolated and um, you know often working on their own for long hours during the week and so that even an hour with other people at the weekend can be really beneficial for people's mental health in particular. Yeah I think it's particularly relevant you know with all like those big campaign wasn't there a few weeks ago about like around rural mental health and those kind of things and it is just like that chance to connect where there's no pressure it's just like come be a bit social and then go home again (laughs) and it's and it's you know there's an activity to do in, in the meantime so yeah no I think it's really good and I also like that we're only on question one and we've got to people already Charlotte so I win. I think it's probably fair to say that it doesn't matter how many episodes we record of this podcast, people is going to feature in every single one of them. It's just how early in the recording we can get it in. Like It's creeping earlier and earlier every time. Um, Alice, I was just wondering about your background with horses. Did you grow up with horses on the farm then? Is that what inspired your kind of journey into equine medicine? Yes. So I um, grew up with riding ponies with my sister. Um, doing all the classic pony club, um, a bit of eventing, a bit of dressage. And I think my parents probably still regret that first riding lesson, um, as we both still ride. And I think they're wondering when we're going to grow out of this hobby. Um, but for me, it's become my lifestyle, so I think it's unlikely. Um, but I'm, I have a long sort of spiel that I give to people, I suppose, about the benefits of a horsey lifestyle. And I think there'll be many people who can relate to that. Um, you know, it teaches you a lot of humility and compassion. I think you have to be responsible. You, you know, you have to get up, muck out, feed your horse, even on the days where it's snowing and it's windy. And you do all of that before you have your own breakfast. And it teaches you sort of learn to be sort of physically active without having to really think about it because your lifestyle involves mucking out and riding and you're not thinking you're going to do exercise or anything like that. Um, you meet really great people. A lot of my friends up here are friends who I rode with when I was younger and yeah I think they really trust I I guess the one thing horses I think teach you is to trust your gut feeling like time and time again your gut feeling is is so key and um, obviously I'm a very strong advocate for horses um, but I, I think they can help you through difficult things and they teach you a lot and I'm very grateful to have grown up with that as a big part of my lifestyle and yes I doubt I would be an equine vet if I hadn't done that. 
I spent a large part of my early life working with horses and found that the relationship between people and horses is really quite special. Um, can you tell us more about your experiences with that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, in my personal experience, horses have really helped me through some tricky times um, through university and things um, and difficult, difficult personal experiences. And I think I see this time and time again with the clients that I'm working with. Their horse is sort of a lifeline and it's, you know, maybe they're upset about a situation, but actually that's not directly the horse. They're upset about everything else going on in their life at that point. Um, and you are there dealing with all of that emotion. So I think that being, I genuinely believe that being through, through being a kind and compassionate vet, you can really lift somebody's day. So whether you're just there for a routine visit and you tell them their horse is looking well and this is their pride and joy, so you really, you know, boost their day. Or if you're dealing with an injured or sick horse and then you can sort of handle the situation with a lot of compassion and empathy, you can really help someone through what is a, a very emotional and, and tricky time as well. Do you maybe think that your job is as much dealing with the owners as it is treating the horses? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So there's the clinical side to it, which I really enjoy the opportunities for the learning and, and the challenging clinical situations. But often it's the communication and the talking to clients, getting them on board. And I think we often refer to it at work as taking them on like the journey with you of trying to get to the root of the problem. For example, figuring out the lameness of the reason for the lameness of the horse, working out a plan that works for them as well as for the horse. It's not always about you know, doing hundreds of different tests and, and treatments. It's about working out what suits the client and what their goal is and what they want to achieve with the horse and make tailoring it to that. You've had some incredible experiences over the last few years, um, which include team vet for the Scottish Endurance team and also doing some of the stud work for the late Queen's Horses at Balmoral. Do you think that's testament to the strength of the relationships you've been able to build? Yeah, it's really, um, I love the the variation in the work and some of those are sort of, I suppose those are two of the highlights of the last couple of years doing the uh, in this industry um but it's so varied and I think the relationship you have with um some of your more high profile horses or clients is just as important as with someone whose pony is living at the bottom of their garden and they've had it for 20 years and you know they sort of feed it every morning and to them that's that's a really big part of their day um and I think that all of the relationships are, are really important and you're constantly learning as well, aren't you? Um, you're currently doing your, um, now let me get this right, equine certificate in advanced veterinary practice. Yeah, so I often say to people that my um, my day is very horse-filled. Um, so yeah, I get up and, and ride and pack out mine and then I go to work and I look after other people's horses and then I come home, feed mine and then go and study about horses. So the studying is good. It's um, I enjoy the learning and it's, rewarding but it's to be honest it's quite a challenge to fit it in and I think it's um takes its toll at times I'm enjoy I am enjoying it but it's it's a challenge for sure <laughs> how long Alice how long does something like that take um so you can do it over two years um you can spread the module out if you have like busy seasons at work so you could spread the modules over 10 years 
I'm hoping to complete mine um, later this year and have done it in two years just to, to really crack on with it. You don't give yourself the easy route there. You know, you can do it over 10 years, but let's 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 crack on and get it done, get it done in two. You know, <laughs> so it's like pain for two years and then and then you can kind of get on after that, I suppose. It's like light at the end of the tunnel is, is maybe coming with that one because um, it's definitely been a little challenging at times. And I think um, the feeling I get from it is that maybe some of the other vets, it's all done online, but some of the other vets um, have been in practice for, for a sort of a wee while longer than I have. So I definitely um, feel there's a lot of imposter syndrome involved in doing this and feeling a bit out of my depth. So it's a very steep learning curve. Um, and I'm learning a huge amount, but it's it's certainly daunting at times. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting, Alice. That you know, in something that you you know you're clearly so passionate about, and you're you've got you know clearly incredibly competent around horses, that you can still experience that kind of imposter and challenge of confidence in in doing your kind of equine certificate and you know moving things things forward because we obviously both Charlotte and I met you through the rural leadership program which is like more learning that you've just done on top of on top of everything else um but you know and I know like we were in a group looking at, at confidence and kind of believing in yourself so um I guess it's it's something that we've talked at length in 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 real life <laughs> um about how you kind of manage that confidence how do you think you kind of manage that either in relation to your kind of equine certificate or showing up and when you do have those kind of crisis of confidence if you don't mind answering that question <laughs> um I think confidence for me is is very much an ongoing work in progress um both personally and professionally and I think it's probably always going to be that way it's going to wax and wane and accepting that is part of the process um I don't really have the answers to be honest as to how how to manage that because if I did I think that would help me out <laughs> I have a few things that I often say to vet students so we take vet students on placements with us it's part of the learning through your veterinary degree and whenever I have students on placement with me I always talk to them about building up a bank in your mind which is like a list of situations that were particularly challenging or Um, difficult but you coped and everything turned out okay so that when you then face another potentially challenging case or situation you refer back you think about that list and you take some confidence from the fact that you handled those challenging situations and everything did turn out okay Um, that's for me been a a really important strategy um, in kind of moving into the veterinary um, career. Mm, I think that's a great strategy and I think it's one that lots of us could could probably use in in parts of our parts of our lives to have kind of that bank of experiences that that you can draw on because it's so easy when you know when you're faced with a challenging situation or somebody asks you a question and you're like I don't know I've never done anything about that before you know but actually the reality is that you have you know somebody could ask me a question of like oh how do you I don't know do this on LinkedIn and I'm like I've got no idea I don't use LinkedIn what's that (laughs) you know like in my head but I do and I do know the answer and I do know you know and it's it is having that kind of bank and and I guess also remembering to take a deep breath and refer to that bank of experience so that you can then yeah and I think another I suppose another really key thing that I've focused on um as still so I've been working as a vet for just coming up to five years now and I still feel quite almost new in the in in the career um but from the very start I've always been very clear with myself my colleagues and my clients about when I've reached my 
what I feel like are the limits of my capabilities. So if I'm handling a case and I reach a point where I don't feel like I know what to do next or what's going on and I need some advice, then I'm very prepared and always have been to say, okay, up to this point, I know what I'm doing. I'm now not quite sure. And I'm going to go and speak to one of my colleagues or get some further advice on this, or I'm going to look this up. And I, to start with, always felt like all clients are going to think she doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, that's a real lack of knowledge. And actually, I think that's probably, I'm really glad I've done that because it's built quite a strong sense of trust with clients and that they know that when I do talk about something, I know what I'm talking about. And if I don't, I will tell them and I will go and get advice and I'll I'll know who to go to. Um, So instead of that being like detrimental to a a trusting relationship, I think that's built a trusting relationship, just that honesty. Um, And actually, you don't look like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that links into like various other things of, you know, the power of a network and having people that you can call on, but also probably qualities that make you the great vet that you clearly are which you know knowing your own boundaries knowing that actually I need to just call on someone else or even for your own reassurance I want a second opinion on this and I think that's really important yeah and also um like even the other other evening I'd been out on call one evening and seen a case and handled it all the very routinely and afterwards I was driving home and you really mull it over. And I just phoned a friend who's also an equine vet and she'd actually similarly just been out on call. And we both just said, I've just seen this and I did this. And she said, that's exactly what I would have done. And it was just that reassurance of something that I shouldn't need to go home and worry about too much, but you do. And just to speak to someone and them to say, yep, I'd have done the same. And then you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's where I think having like a really strong network is so is so important you know I know like Charlotte you're we we both do this to each other you know you pick up the phone and you're like how should I deal with this or can I run this past you or what do you think of this and it's having those people those people around you and I think it's easy when you work rurally to kind of isolate yourself particularly I think when people are working from home but but to isolate yourself and and to have those people is is incredibly incredibly powerful yeah, definitely. Because I suppose the na- nature of my job as an ambulatory equine vet is I spend a lot of time on the road, sort of driving between clients by myself. And then when you're on a yard or dealing with a case, by and large, you're by yourself. So to sort of when you're struggling with your confidence a little bit, you're usually there on your own. Um, and you either have to, to sort of deal with it and, and get on with it, or you have to figure it out to get some help. And um I think that does challenge confidence but it's it's something to work on (laughs) yeah definitely and I know Alice that one of your one of your passions you already mentioned was was talking about um uh, you know working with the vet students and things are there any like qualities that you think um you try and get them to like take on board or instill in them when they that's beyond the kind of academic or technical ability when you're working with them absolutely so I think um there's a huge amount of focus placed on academic ability when you're applying to vet school and through vet school obviously there's a huge number of exams and to some extent I think you do you do need to have a certain amount of academic ability to to just learn the pure volume of stuff Um, however I think other qualities are far more important in making you a vet who enjoys your job and sticks at it 
and actually who gets clients on side and builds good relationships with clients. I think qualities, for example, well, mainly communication, um, empathy and resilience are just far more crucial than whether you quote this scientific paper you know, off the top of your head. Clients don't really care. Well, they do care that you know what you're doing, but they're not wanting you to quote facts and figures left, right and centre. They want you to understand where they're coming from, what their concern is, what you're trying to achieve, and they want to understand what you're doing. Yeah. So it's that, it is come, it comes back, doesn't it, to like in in my world of like marketing, people buy from people, but it's the same. It's that people work best with people that they can build trust with and that they like. And, and those skills to build that, I think, in lots of, in fact, lots of kind of professional areas are are often overlooked but actually are so vital to being able to do the job well you know Charlotte you need good communication as a land agent to talk to your clients and to convey what your what you know your professional advice to them you also need to empathize with them often because it's a family circumstance you know and so there's lots of these things are really relevant in all professional services but they're not they're not really taught they're just kind of an expectation that you'll just learn them (laughs) Well, that's it. And I think they're quite a difficult thing to teach um, and to to learn, I suppose. So, you know, they definitely come more naturally to some people than to others. Um, I think there's a, an increasing amount of awareness among vet schools about recruiting students who are maybe going to show more like sort of resilient um, characteristics and things like that. Um, the profession of veterinary as a whole faces quite a lot of challenges I think it helps if we can get more students into the into the career who um, have some more of those qualities and not just focused on the academic ability. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and I imagine Alice is an ambulatory. I don't. It's not a word I really say very often. Ambulatory um, vet that you come across some quite challenging situations. Any any good stories for us of challenging situations? Um, well, I have uh, one or two of my favourites. Um, so I think it's interesting because the challenging situation is not necessarily the clinical problem that you're faced with. Um, for example, um, a year or two ago, I was called to a rescue operation involving, well, on the phone, I was told there was a pony stuck in a ditch. Um, when I arrived, there was a pony in a sort of concrete square hole with one leg above the hole, um, people trying to climb in with it, which is all very dangerous. Um, a fire crew there with 10 firemen and a forklift. Um, and I sort of walked into the situation expecting that I would be obviously responsible for the care of the pony, the medication, the anaesthetic sedation, dealing with wounds, injuries, um, and the health and welfare of the horse. However, the firemen had uh, quite limited experience of large animal handling. And so I ended up directing a forklift and 10 firemen as well, um, lift this horse out of the, ho- the concrete hole. Um, luckily, it was successful. The pony recovered, um, looked the next day, was just back to its bright self, which was quite remarkable. Um, but it was certainly a challenging situation in terms of standing suddenly in front of 10 firemen and being like, okay, right, can you do this? Can you do that? Um, and really having to manage it in a sort of, leadership sense very unexpectedly totally. yeah I think it's it's really interesting isn't it because you kind of you quite often walk into a situation thinking it's going going to be one thing 
and then it turns out to be something like completely different but what 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 an experience for you I'm sure for the firemen too they're probably looking at the horse like I don't know what we do here it's not a cat up a tree you know it's not like it's not like fireman Sam what do we do here you know but it's but it's um a great learning opportunity for you and I'm sure you were like racking your brain thinking when am I going to need to use these skills again it was hugely rewarding and I have done a bit of training with um with that large animal rescue um courses so down in down south in England they have um a lot more training training for the fire crews on this um a specific organization called BARTA um and there are large animal rescue crews who are trained in all of these processes and it's starting to um, be implemented across Scotland um but hasn't quite reached Aberdeenshire yet not yet maybe maybe they'll invite you to go and like join them on the large animal training rescue training here's Alice who coordinated us the one time we had to do this I enjoy that actually. Yeah, it would be quite good. Alice, just going back to what you said about the veterinary profession facing some big issues, there are probably some people that still think of an equine vet in the context of all creatures great and small. And this very kind of romanticised notion that that is what you do on a daily basis. But I think it's probably fair to say that the reality of that is really, really quite different. Absolutely, yeah. I think I'm very lucky to work in a part of the world which is beautiful and I'm driving around um, some stunning scenery with really lovely clients. Um, However, I think at times the job can be very draining. Um, The emotional fatigue is certainly can build up. Um, And I think it's an unusual job in that it can be physically, mentally and emotionally draining all at the same time. Um, So the veterinary profession faces a lot of big issues with mental health, um, burnout, and a suicide rate, which is four times the national average. Um, So lots of vets don't stay in the profession for very long, and there's a big widespread shortage across the UK, um, which causes further issues with recruitment and then added pressure for those who remain. Um, So the governing body and lots of other veterinary professions are taking a lot of steps uh, to tackle this. Um, So hopefully it will start to improve. And I think on a personal level, um, it really hits home that you need to look after yourself as well. Otherwise, you're not really much use to anybody else, whether that's the horses or the clients. Um, and I think within the business or so for, particularly within our vet practice, we're very aware of checking in with everyone. Um, and it, the, the practice provides really excellent support for anyone who's finding it tough, um, which I rate hugely. Um, And actually, the other thing that I always say to vet students um, who are looking at their first um, first job and applying for jobs is the key thing is the support you will receive. Um, You know, it's not what you're going to be able to do or what you're going to earn. I think the support and uh, from the team that you work with is so crucial. And that is what will make you stay um, and enjoy your job. Did the pandemic exacerbate the pressures placed on vets? because there was a huge boom in people getting pets during lockdown. And I mean, I've heard some absolute horror stories of vets who have been forced to work around the clock. They've been verbally abused by people if they haven't been able to get appointments. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah, I think I'm I'm very aware of a, a lot of those issues. Um, maybe that some of my friends working in small animal practice are facing more so than I am. Um, I think there's certainly been a boom in people sort of buying horses up here, but 
um, and we're very busy as a practice at the moment, but I don't think we've had the same experience that some other vets have had um, from from the effects of COVID and things. Um, yeah, that pro- that probably hasn't affected us in the same way. I think I just I genuinely believe we're very lucky in that like the vast majority of our clients are lovely, um, which horsey people can sometimes have a um, you know can be quite full on. Um, but ones up here that I work with are, are brilliant, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, Alice, we end um, every episode asking our guests the same question. Um, so now it's your turn. Um, what's one piece of advice you would give to the next generation of rural women, and I suppose maybe more specifically vets, but in Scotland? Yeah, I think this is uh, something I've been figuring out for myself recently, but. Um, I personally think that if you really figure out what your values are and why you do what you do, um, then that gives you your motivation and your passion for for it. Um, so um, that and also being very grateful for the opportunities to work in such a beautiful part of the world in rural Scotland, um, surrounded by the great people. And then I think if you if you know what you do, your purpose and you have grat- gratitude for doing it, um, then that really helps. Mm-hmm. Oh, great advice, Alice. I totally agree. It's like you drive up the road in rural Scotland and you're like, I'm so lucky that this is my job and I get to like be in these beautiful places and uh, and see these incredible parts of the country that other people who work in the city just don't get to see. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very lucky. So Alice, thank you so much for joining us today to share your stories, experiences and lessons. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed speaking to you both. Thank you. So if you'd like to connect with Alice on social media, the details are in the show notes below. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram at Women and Wellies Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest news. And you can email us with any questions on womeninwelliespodcast at gmail.com and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time. Bye.